0: Cinephiles, audiophiles, ladies and germs, welcome to the Film Called Podcast. Tonight, let me introduce Louis Michaud, co-founder of the Lost, Lost Bayou Ramblers, who have helped to shape the sound of indie cinema as of late with their contributions for Beasts of the Southern Wild and Rodents of Unusual Size. Louis, how are things?
1: Oh, things are interesting, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah, I've been just spending a lot of time at my... Home and home studio, my family got cut right in the middle of some tours, so yeah, I've been home for four months making uh, making a new life. How about y'all
0: <laughs> it's uh, It's not too bad up here have you been uh, Have you been hunkering down and writing a lot of music while you've been inside?
1: Definitely, definitely.'ve been working on a lot of different projects. Uh, I have a little record label called Nuvo Electric Records. And I've been uh, putting out quite a bit of music since the pandemic started, which was luckily already in the works. I'd already planned a bunch of releases and it gave me time to focus on them. And I've been working on a lot more. Plus, yeah, doing different compositions and producing and recording. So it's been a nice, you know, a nice change of pace in a sense from being on the road for like 150 dates a year.
0: Well, you have so many new projects currently. Is it possible to take us through a few of these that we can expect? And what can we expect from you coming up? Maybe a little bit about Michaud's Melody Makers, Lestring Noise, Soul Creole.
1: Definitely, definitely. So today, July, uh, is the day that my second release with Michaud's Melody Makers came out. It's called Cosmic Cajuns from Saturn because we recorded it at Saturn Bar in New Orleans where we had done a residency uh, two years ago. And uh, it's a really fun and expansive and different live album that we recorded over two nights. Um, that's our second project. The first one was called Blood Moon, which came out on Sinking City Records, but my label, Nuvo Electric Records, put out this second record. Um, the Soul Creole, which is another band I play with, Corey Ledette, who's a virtuoso, zydeco accordion player from... Uh, Parks, Louisiana, uh, and he just found out he's a descendant of some amazing jazz players. He always heard the stories, but we recently found proof that his grandpa played with Bunk Johnson and Gene Krupa and all kind of people, at, uh, and he was Clifton Chenier's drummer, but he plays in a band with myself and Ashley Michaud called Soul Creole, and we released our first physical recording. It's a 45 of a song called Trois Ron. Three Rings that uh, Ashley Michaud wrote, and uh, we did a dub version on side B produced by Corey Ritchie. Uh, that's a, you know, that's a very fun project because it's kind of between you know Cajun Creole and Zydeco, which you know for us Creole is kind of where Cajun and Zydeco meet, and Creole of course being a <laughs> very complex term, but it's uh, it's kind of a new a new uh, a new extension of music that we've been fortunate enough to be a part of so that's a great project and great exciting to have our first physical release out Uh, you mentioned the string noise which is the second of uh the releases of the 12 different shows i did for my residency at john zorn's club the stone in new york it was on uh, avenue c and second street in new york the lower east side they moved it to the new school now where they still do the residencies, but I'll find myself fortunate to have played the old venue. It was just a room with one volunteer that would let you in. There was no drinks. Like completely the opposite of normal shows we play where it's, you know, people come in early, they drink and they talk talking this is you sit down, you listen to the music and the recipe consists of sort of twelve shows. And the first one I released as called The Stone. There was a complete improv of 50 Minutes with Spider Stacy and some other uh, musicians. And the String Noise is the second. And it's, uh, it's a collaboration between a band called String Noise, which is Pauline Kim and Conrad Harris, some amazing violin players from New York. We've done a lot of different work with a lot of different multimedia artists uh, in film and dance and all over the place. And myself and Layla McCalla on cello. So it's us four kind of doing each other's songs, each other's material, which is a super far cross-pollination between their avant-garde and next-level composition style. And, like, Layla and I both coming from more of a Cajun or Creole. Like, she's on the Haitian side of the Creole. And uh, really fun project. So that came out in April. Um, got a few more, <laughs> if
0: you want to mention them. Yeah, of course. You have the uh, Levy Bandits and the uh, Goldman Thibodeau, and I know I'm gonna <laughs> mess that up. Is that how you uh, how you say the last name on that? Yeah, t- yeah, Goldman Thibodeau and the okay. Longtail
1: Playboys. Yeah, that's a very, uh, very, very long running band. And Goldman Thibodeau, he's I believe eighty two now. Oh no, wait, maybe maybe he's eighty seven. I'm sorry, I think he's eighty seven. Sorry about that, but uh, he's. Been playing with the Los Altos Playboys for many years, and it was around before he was playing with them. And he is kind of one of the, one of the last of the Creole Lala practitioners. And uh, you know, he was and one of the last to see Amade Arduin in person. And Amade Arduin was the, you know, the godfather, the grandfather of both Cajun and Zydeco musics. And uh, he's such an amazing, inspirational musician. And, uh, and and uh friend, and uh really excited we were able to put that out because it, we've been talking about recording and we finally did it at his family reunion. He asked us to come play his family reunion because uh, there was only a few of them left and kind of the perfect place to record his album because it was surrounded by family and friends.
0: Well, speaking of John Zorn, did he approach you to record in the club or how did that all come to be?
1: Yeah, it's... <laughs> it took me a while to figure out how it came to be but what ha- what originally happened was someone uh, hit me up to perform at their wedding and it's an actress and a famous tattoo artist and I was like oh yeah hey, that sounds great well, and so that was one of Soul Creole's first gigs and we went there and, I, and he said John Zorn gave me your number and I said John Zorn gave you my number how did that happen <laughs> he said oh well he, I, I don't I, and then I said can I have can you give me John's email to thank him so I thanked him and said I' oh, hey, no problem he said next time you're in New York come uh, have lunch and so it took me a few trips because of schedules I've I go to New York pretty often and I, and I hit him up one time and he uh, and it worked out and then we went had lunch and he invited me to do the residency and of course I had to oblige because I mean you don't you know it was an amazing project it took a lot of planning and resources and all that to put together 12 distinct shows in six days and just the logistics of getting all the musicians back and forth and figuring out how to fund it and all that, which I did some crowdfunding, crowdsourced funding for But I eventually traced it back, which kind of goes full circle to where when I met String Noise, it was through Gordon Gaynor of the Violence Films, uh, who who played with the Lost Bay Ramblers off and on for quite a few years as our special guest and we do shows, he plays fiddle with us. And then we he would do a whole violin film set that we'd back and for. And I was in New York a previous time and he said, hey, I want you to come meet some friends. Gordon and I were having coffee and he brought me to his friend's house after the, he wanted me to meet some violin players who happened to be string noise. And Pauline Kim was gonna play, I think that night or the next night at Rockwood Music Hall and she was gonna perform some John Zorn numbers. And I went, and then we did four violins doing Violent Femmes. So it was me, Gordon, Pauline, and Conrad doing Violent Femmes songs on four violins. And I think John's always there. So it took me a few years to kind of trace back to that moment. I guess that's how he was able to refer me to a wedding gig. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting how things work in the old music world, or in life in general.
0: Well, were you a fan of Gordon Gano uh, before you worked together, or how did that collaboration come to be?
1: Well, of course, growing up in the 90s, like being a teenager in the 90s, uh, I had friends who would jam the violent films, you know, nonstop. And I didn't really know, you know, and and I, man, I got to know that, that one album just so well just from hanging out with one of my particular friends. And uh, one night, and then, yes, yeah, so I was, you know, I was, a fan enough just through assimilation like that. And then when I met him in New Orleans, he happened to be it was a, kind of a funny coincidence because we, we used to play just the riff from Blister in the Sun in the middle of our breakdown on and he happened to be in the crowd and jumped up and said do you mind if I sing? And we didn't realize it was him until he started singing. I mean, it was a kind of a loose it was a loose gig at a place where we're used to having people kind of jump up whether they're welcome or not. You know, it was like, okay, go ahead, dude. You're already on the mic, and it was—he started singing. I was like, oh my gosh, that's actually him. <laughs> and it turns out we were in the wrong key, and he, he didn't know the rest of the course, so he had to teach us the rest of the song on stage, and that was a the start of a beautiful relationship.
0: Well, what drew you to the fiddle originally?
1: Well, I come from a, a, a family of Cajun musicians. My dad plays accordion. My Uncle Rick plays fiddle, and uh, I think my dad gave us, my brother and I, my brother Andre, who founded Lost by Rambles with me, a choice of, you know, you gonna learn an instrument. When I was, I think, 10 or so, I said violin, and I picked it up for a little bit and then put it down, and then I picked up the electric guitar for, like, my whole, you know, mid-teenage years and uh, had different bands and all that. But when I was around 18, I decided to pick it back up i had a friend who was playing cajun music and i mean i was still playing cajun music on the stand up bass and uh as my primary instrument for years with the Show. shows so i was playing regularly playing cajun music but i decided to pick up the fiddle and i uh, and i took it on i used to travel a lot back then and uh i mean like not touring you know just traveling whatever and like i hitchhiked through uh, eastern canada for about 3 months and uh, took the fiddle with me and learned all those songs that were in my head from playing Cajun music for so many years, and I was practicing my French. So I really, you know, cut my teeth playing fiddle on the streets all you know, throughout Eastern Canada, throughout New York and the Western United States and just traveling and playing on the streets for quite a few years, and that's really how I got my base in the fiddle. But my brother, at the same time, as I was kind of going back and forth, was learning accordion at home and uh when i when i came home we founded the lost Body ramblers and then i you know i kept continued traveling playing on the streets and we continued uh playing as lost by ramblers and it was from playing on the streets in new york for a whole summer in 2002 that i booked our first uh out of louisiana tour for lost by ramblers
0: well, what were some of your influences growing up? And was it always a conscious decision to keep rockabilly and punk rock always in spirit with everything that you do?
1: That, that's a great question because never listened to rockabilly and never listened to punk music, but it became naturally what people associated us with because of the energy we played with. You know, I grew up playing Cajun music, but I grew up playing also playing, like, blues on the guitar and classic rock, you know, like, I mean, Jimi Hendrix and all that stuff, where everyone, the music that everyone does and should get familiar familiar with as teenagers, you know, Led Zeppelin and Nirvana and all of that. So, uh, but when we started playing as Lost by Your Ramblers, we opened it up a little more because we came from a very traditional background when they put out the show has triangle, stand-up bass, guitar, fiddle, and accordion, and we eventually brought drums and amplifiers and pedals, and we slowly and gradually grew the sound of Lost Bayou Ramblers as as our comfort level with the tradition, with being the front people uh, and learning the traditional melodies. Uh, as front men evolved, so it really came just as a natural. Uh, like, the way we played, people would label us, you know, which is funny because now we play with Spider Station from The Pogues, and he said it was the same with them. I even saw where they recently said, don't call us a Celtic punk band. You know, they were just doing their thing, and other people kind of lumped them in the punk category, even though they were playing with Joe Strummer from The Clash, you know, front of the band with Spider for a few years. And, and kind of the same thing where it's we're playing but traditional music, putting our own influences into it, and it just comes out like that. So I think that's fine, you know, and I actually started listening to punk music a little bit after people started calling us that and and comparing us to different bands just to see what it was about, and I like it.
0: (laughs) Well, do you find your passion to keep the Cajun spirit alive growing stronger as you grow older, or do you find yourself steering away from it a bit?
1: I think it's both. I mean, not away from, but definitely. I'm. I'm a. I could possibly, for lack of better words, a cultural activist. Where I have been learning Cajun French for over 20 years. My wife speaks Cajun French, and we're teaching it to our children. And the language is one of the most important parts of any culture, but it's also a tipping point that, like an entry that allows you to get much further into culture through environment, plants, medicine, faith healers. We've called which use a combination of plants and prayer that probably comes from, uh, all of the, you know, all of the uh, backgrounds of Louisiana, where it be American Indian, Amer- Native American, um, you know, African, Acadian, French, Creole, Spanish, and, all of these cultures have come together to make Louisiana culture and I find, and I continually strive to search my own roots and the essential knowledge of the culture uh, as time goes on more and more and the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know but at the same time I also believe in continuing culture and music through keeping it relevant and, uh, and adapting, you know, which is what any tradition and any ecosystem for that matter does is you simply adapt. So I think, you know, I do, I do believe that it should be pushed forward naturally uh, in time, but I also believe that it needs to be studied the history and the, uh, you know, the language and the roots of it, because there's so much vital information that we're losing every day.
0: Well, what was the reaction like when you first played France?
1: Uh, France is interesting because we we play French. We we call French music like in Louisiana before there was Cajun and Zydeco labels so much it was all called French music. And there's actually a scene in France for Louisiana French music, but it's hard. Kind of as it was in America, but we've made it our our our. our you know, almost our uh, our point of playing is to play for people that don't know Cajun music. And so we like to play for people that, you know, we like to play for both, people that are, are Cajun and Creole and it's part of their culture. We love to play for people that have never heard it. And same in France. So it's uh it's kind of gone both ways where certain people, they, they know why they're there. They're there to dance two steps and waltzes. And then certain people have never heard me like, what is, this, what is this dialect of French you're singing and why can't I understand every word and where are you from? You know? so some of it is like shock and some it, it intrigues people and some people it confuses them. But overall, you know, it, it makes them aware of Louisiana French culture if they weren't.
0: Well, did your relationship with Scarlett Johansson and Dr. John started in a similar way as Gordon Gano? Uh,
1: so do- so Dr. John and Scarlett Johansson both came into our uh, collaborative lives as a result. You know, they both have made records at Rockside Studios, and our producer Corey Ritchie, uh, who started as started working there at a young age, um, and eventually became a house engineer and got the chance to work with these people and eventually did more work with them on other, in other capacities. And as our producer, he brought them into the projects and I was just, we were just fortunate enough to be around them. You know, I got to go to LA with him to record Scarlet. who who uh, you know happened to speak French as well, and uh, did a great job. And then, and Dr. John, we did. We were actually playing on a Dr. John record. That it came out, with kind a full release. It was a Bobby Charles Gidry. Who Bobby Charles, the famous Bobby Charles Gidry, was his uh, good friend. And we, and after Bobby Charles passed, we did a project that uh, called "Solution to Pollution." That that Bobby Charles had always wanted to do. So we were kind of bringing his late friend's project to life and he recorded on our album at the same time.
0: Well, did you expect the reaction for Beast of the Southern Wild to be as big as it was? Or was that more of a kind of paycheck-like collaboration?
1: Oh, no. It was completely grassroots. And uh, Ben Zeitlin had come to a lot of our shows uh, over the years in New Orleans, and I can remember him and still see him to the day time to time, kind of he loves to dance, and he would be in the front row dancing, and then one day he said, hey, I'm doing this, this film, and I want to talk to you about it, and he sent me one of his older films, and they were trying to get us to go and kind of be in the movie and stuff, but at the time I was my first child was just a baby, there was a lot going on. They were, like, filming, like, four hours south, way out in the marsh. And it was hard for me to get down there. And so we just just resorted to us playing uh, on the soundtrack. And, you know, I mean, it sounded very interesting what they were doing but at the time I didn't exactly understand. And, you know, that's how it goes, I think, with a lot of movies is you just, you know, you just never know what's going to happen. We played, I think, on four different movies that year. Uh, contributions and of course it was definitely the one to go the farthest um, and when it came out and I actually saw it it blew my mind and I mean such an emotional film and such an important message <laughs> and uh, yeah never never saw that coming for sure and I mean we only spent two hours in the studio with them they absolutely wanted us to play for me to sing La Valle de Bullfather Father Waltz and that became the signature part of the bathtub. And we still are performing that. We even performed it uh, this past November in Lafayette with the Acadiana Symphony Orchestra, the entire score to the film, and we've done it with them, with Ben Zeitlin and Dan Romer, and uh, with uh, with wordless music, uh, different symphonies across the nation, even in England. It's been an amazing, amazing experience. And I also performed on... Uh, his new film called Windy.
0: Well, do you have any more film work coming up?
1: We we made the score to a, um, a fictional, I'm not sure, exactly sure how you categorize that a uh, fictional drama of sorts filmed here in South Louisiana called Lost Bayou, <laughs> funny enough. They actually <laughs> asked us for permission to use the name and we granted it to him I know the uh the director and uh and then they asked us to do the score which we did uh over the course of like a month we recorded the entire score and it's been getting doing really well it's, it's, I think it just won the Beverly Hills Film Festival best feature and uh that was a really fun project to work on um nothing in the works at this moment because obviously I guess people aren't able to be doing as much filming work as they have. So, uh, you know, our creative direction has gone to home studios and the such. But uh, nothing in the works, but I always love working on scores. It's one of my favorite things to do. In fact, I do have a small score to work on uh, in the coming weeks, but it's a personal project for a friend who uh, is making a, he made a small film for a trip that he took with some friends and, I agreed to do a small score for it. So looking forward to that, and I always love doing scores.
0: Well, did your record company kind of come out of necessity, or was it just a way to release what you found interesting?
1: Yeah, it was, it was more to release music that I found interesting that has not... Uh, I mean, as you probably know, with independent music, it's so hard to keep momentum going from project to project it takes so much resources for an artist to make an album or even an EP or even a single. And then once they release it, it's like, it's out there and it's, it's kind of water under the bridge, unless you're like playing live and promoting it. And I made the label so that I could give a platform and a home to a lot of this really cool eccentric music that's coming out of South Louisiana and other places that, would not have an audience because it doesn't have a live band to support it or the live band needs help promoting it and such. So really out of, out of uh, just because I wanted, I wanted to give a home to certain, some of my music and other artists' music because it's really hard to be an independent artist and I've learned so much in my 20 years as a, you know, <laughs> booker, manager, producer, you know, all the hats you wear in the music industry And so I wanted to be able to extend that not only to my own projects, but other people's projects and collaborations.
0: Well, Louis, I'd like to thank you so much. It was great to chat with you for a bit. And it's great to see how influential you have been to a lot of people. And it's just really cool to hear all your stories, all the work that you're involved with. and And I know myself and everybody else, I'm sure we cannot wait to hear and see what the future has in store for you. Well, thanks
1: so much for having me on. And I, I definitely can't wait to see what the future has in store for all of us and myself as well.
0: And I look forward to seeing you all uh, soon, hopefully. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. All right. See you. Bye. Thank you for listening. This concludes our broadcast day. <laughs>